Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here at italknet.com and also at pghtalkradio.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this beautiful day, whatever day of the week you're listening to this on, and whatever time of the day it may be. So it's been a while since I have uh, been back on the uh, on the podcast circuit because remember we were doing this for radio for years and then decided step away let's do it for the podcast because it can open up the windows to more interesting conversation than being confined by the FCC. So today is our first one that is opening us up to the podcast world and on the phone with me now what I think is really interesting is. The individual I have on the phone with me just turned, oh, I can't say just, but turned 40 last November. Now, trust me, she does not look 40. She looks about 28, 29. On the phone with me right now is Katie Chinakis. Is that right, Katie? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> you, you, there's no way you're 40 years old. God's grace, I definitely am. You're very sweet. And thank you for empowering me. Uh, thank you so much for empowering me and all um, humans and females. It's very true. I am I am 40 years old going on 18. Well, t- to be honest with you, in my opinion, because I've the last few weeks when I knew this was uh, going to happen, I've been going through and watching some of your stuff and some of it I have seen before. But I, I saw the birth date and I'm going, there is no way possible that she is 40 years of age because you do literally look like you're in your late 20s early 30s oh wow okay great and there and there's a few photographs that were taken for maxim magazine that yeah Mm -hmm. anyway uh (laughs) we're we're very flattering just let me say that you i actually am doing a photo shoot tomorrow with one of the very first photographers i ever did um where i started my modeling career and um one of my first paid gigs and and we've shot throughout the the decades and we're actually shooting tomorrow so there's going to be i'm so excited to have um a bunch of new photos and to be able to shoot with uh, scott sprague again 
And um, I'm, I'm really excited to, um, you know, put out these new photos and empower, you know, myself even more and, and be okay with the photos being very maximish because I've been very conservative throughout my life um, in fear of, you know, um, wanting to be a good girl or not <laughs> wanting to look slutty or not wanting to look too revealing. But now that I am 40 and I'm like, you know what? I'm an ethical, moral person. I know who I am and I'm sexy and, and I shouldn't be ashamed of my body. We get taught as females body shaming and males. We, we get fit shamed. We get body shamed. Right. And we feel scared. And so... Um, Maxim was a very empowering uh, opportunity to show my body in a very classy way. And But, yeah, there aren't too many photos of me being too sexy. Like, because you can be sexy and sensual without showing, you know, too much revealing of skin. Very sensual with your look. But... But but I am gorgeous and I am I am forty and I am still young and my body looks and feels as an eighteen year old so it's okay to empower and and show my body without feeling the guilt so I'm I'm ready to explore that part of myself tomorrow even more you know because um, it's a, it's a big thing it's a psychological thing of how much is too much and what is okay and and who teaches you what and who plants what so it it depends on the psychology of who raises you and what okay. you're surrounded by because a mom could be very like oh it's okay to wear shorts this skirt and wear things and it's beautiful because you have morals and boundaries of who touches you and and how you're doing it in a classy way but then there are certain parents who you know where things could be on the other side of the spectrum so there's that fine balance of knowing who you are knowing your morals and values and exploring those things um so you feel comfortable and each individual has their own boundaries of what they feel comfortable with, right? And we all have our own imaginations of where we go with those things right. as well. So, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm looking through. I'm looking through your uh, your site or your page on International Movie Database, and a lot of this stuff. Many people may not know your name, but they know who you are, because you've been on pretty much. Every TV series, and, and I can't say it, but a crime drama series that has been out there for the last 10 or 15 years, you have been on them at least once. Looking at CSI New mm. York, looking at Cold Case, looking at um, CSI uh, Crime Scene Investigation, looking at SVU, looking at all these different names. And I think it's very interesting that you have played these characters and usually... Let, let me say this right. You're usually playing a troubled young woman. Am I correct? Law and Order, yes. Uh, cold Case, yeah. I was a young pellet, uh, yeah. Um, and frustrated because uh, my dad wanted me to be like a lawyer or a doctor. Um, CSI New York, yes. It was like Romeo and Juliet, a very poetic piece again. Uh -huh. It was a forbidden love. We wanted to be together and we couldn't. Um, so there's always some kind of conflict with family and yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, I guess. I guess so, yeah. So when you've done these programs, and again, I know they were they were um, they weren't reoccurring roles. Have you ever looked into trying to get a, a, a regular cast spot on one of these programs, or do you just like doing the individual programs? 
Um, my very first pilot season, it's called pilot season when new shows are introduced. Yes. Uh, there's pilot season. Pilot season has changed over the decades, especially after the writer's strike, which was like 2008. It just opened up the flooding gates. So did streaming services. It opened up the flooding gates for like pilot season to kind of be all year round. But there is a time where it's pilot season. And my first one, I tested for three shows. And like okay. I, you know, had a, t- a test network deal where I'm signing my life away, a contract for seven years that I'm going to be making this for the pilot, this for, you know, per episode and the residuals. Um, so I was up for three pilot, um, p- three pilots. My first pilot season, I had, I've been um, up for about um, seven or eight shows total um, for pilot season. Um, and being contracted on uh, to be a lead, yeah. And then I've been up for series regular roles where sometimes, you know, it's like I was up for the OC for, it was like Olivia Dunn got the role. She played the bartender. She was Misha Barton's, like, lesbian lover. And it was between me and her. And uh, although I was older than Olivia Dunn, they said Olivia Dunn more looked the part that I looked too young. Ah. So that was a bust. Yeah, and then I was up for Gossip Girl and Leighton Meester, Leighton Meester's role, and Leighton Meester broke, booked it. And Jeff Greenberg, I remember I was in the casting office, and they're like, you know, you're she's very talented. They were telling my team, she's very talented, she's great for the role, but we don't know if she's going to age well. This this series is going to go for sure. They knew, the, they knew Gossip Girl was going to go, but they didn't know if I was going to age well. So, um, you know, I, I didn't get the role. So there's, there's things like that that happen that are behind the scenes that people don't know about. Um, one time I was up for a movie, and it was, like, between me and it was Tom Hanks' son's girlfriend. And Tom Hanks' son's girlfriend at the time got the role instead of me. So sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's talent. Sometimes it's a look. With TV, Cold Case, when I was on Cold Case, um, Barbara Florentino, she's now the head of casting at Hulu. She's amazing. And she was partners with Rebecca Nangieri. And they, um, they brought, and she, they tested me for Point Pleasant, which was an amazing TV show. And I was up for this 15-year-old girl. And they, put, they booked me on Cold Case. And they loved me so much. What you have to do is not a little context. Like when you're an actor, you um, have to get an agent and a manager. But then right. you have to get an agent and a manager who actually has the power that can put you in front of the casting directors who can put you in front of the producers to take you to the network to put you on the show. So there's a lot of hurdles and hoops. So let's say you have a bottom-based strong team that can get you the appointments. They can pitch you. They're pitching 500, 500 actors, 5,000 actors, but only one person books the role. So let's say the casting director sees you. So that let's, and that, let's say you get through all those hurdles, bottom-based. And Barbara Florentino, Rebecca Mangieri, they loved me, and they brought me right to producers and directors. And so instead of me pre-reading, they call it pre-reading for them, they would bring me right in front of eight to ten producers, the directors, the writer, for Cold Case. And, like, on the eighth time, they finally booked me. And they wanted to, they just, they loved my talent. They liked me. They were rooting for me. They wanted me on the show. But with Cold Case, they said it was one of the hardest shows to film, to cast, because they do the files where they have to, like, you in present day, but then reference back to like 1950s and go to the cold case files. So they have to make sure not only your talent's on par, but that you can relate and look like the the people that they're hiring from, you know, years ago. Right. So it was an honor when I finally booked that role that I, I got not only a guest star, I got a guest lead. They booked me as a guest lead. Like I went out for that show eight times and it was really epic working on that show. Um, yeah, so... That kind of encapsulates um, some of the things you were saying, but also with, you know, my pot popular podcast called She's All Over the Place, I've dabbled in so many different areas, 
And I've been doing voice acting, so I'm in my voiceover booth now, and I do voiceovers. But I also, it's kind of like the analogy of a car. When you need your brakes to be changed, like you need new pads, new rotors. Um, when you're going out for thousands of scripts, and you're reading over 100, 100 pages of materials, and you're up to bat, and you get 99 no's, but that one yes makes it worth it. It's about being consistent. I just kind of had to rotate, and I did a DJ music program, and I traveled, and I kind of took a break from on-screen acting, um, just because I just maybe needed to have some more life experience or develop, because I wasn't booking these roles because I was looking too young or this or that. So I just kind of took some time out to gain some more, you know, to fulfill my cup because act it's called the actor's journey for a reason. Is it it's not just a bullseye, right? It's not just linear. You go on a journey. So now I've totally rested and and I went on to producing my own content through the union, uh producing my own um, you know, short films, putting them in the film festival circuit. Um I have couples therapy season one and two you can watch on the Sophisticated Psychos streaming platform. Season three isn't out yet. But as a producer, being in, you know, in a director um, and a creator, empowering myself, because through the business has changed, like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck when they did you know, their film. And uh, with the electronics, you could just go out there and make your own content now. And we've been encouraged as actors to not just sit and wait for opportunities, to curate the opportunities and go to Netflix and Amazon Direct and just, you know, get your own deals, distribution deals. So, but with all that being said, um, I do have a full new team for on screen. And I was just, you know, up for a huge role that I can't talk about. But um, I've been going out for huge network opportunities again. So I am ready with my two decades of dabbling and being, you know, a guest star and being in movies and stuff. I'm ready to become a full household name and you're one of the very uh, first to hear it but I'm going all the way this time and I'm not stopping until I'm on a series and I'm a I'm a series regular so this is my main targeted focus right now and I'm in action and I'm already auditioning again for the network opportunities. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Now, you made a comment in the beginning of this conversation about not acting um, uh, slutty, I guess is the word to use. But you were in the movie Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New mm -hmm. Orleans with Nicolas Cage. And let's just say right. that, that you were the definition of that word in that movie. <laughs> Is that how you take it? <laughs> well, there's one scene with you in the alley in the back um, that 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 was quite interesting um, with you. And I guess you were with your boyfriend and he interrupted you, too. Yeah. 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 So um, in, in the scene specifically, um, she's wearing a fur. She's wearing like this, like $50,000 brooch. Right. Yes. Um, and so money doesn't buy class, of course. And it was a very much like a Studio 4-esque um, kind of vibe. And I'm sure you know more stories than I do, but I just watched Halston with uh, Ian, 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 um, Ian McGregor, and he was amazing in the role. And it was very studio, and they would go, they went to the opening of Studio 54, they were there. And, you know, it's like a doorman, and you have to be a who's who to get in, and you can't just be anyone to get in, right? Right. So it was very much of, like, that Studio 4-esque kind of vibe where she's this privileged, 
socialite, right, who uses seduction and her power in such a way to get what she wants, right, to not be arrested to smoke crack with Nicholas Cage. So, you know, it is controversial with ethics and morals and values and money can't buy class and how come it's okay for her to act that way or someone to act that way and it, with their power to get what they want and they can use their sexual power in exchange for those kind of things. It gets convoluted and, and very much twisted and it, it very much speaks to how society is and, and how it's been for a while, especially not only in entertainment, in politics and in, in all areas, right? right? People, you know, I mean, I remember Ashton Kutcher said something like, Five or six years ago, he was a part of something about sex trafficking and how many girls sell themselves or get sold, um, you know, for sexual favors and how many girls um, sell their souls and, you know, for a bag or shoes or trips, you know, and, and men doing it. And, and not only men doing it, but females do it, too. They, I see a lot of, you know, females throughout the years who, you know, who have had boy toys and boys doing it. For you know the monetary gain and status of pleasure, it's it's very sick and twisted in some ways. It's very exciting in some ways as well. You know, um, it's um, you know it's a thing that definitely happens, and we're not perfect human beings. Um, but it was great to explore uh, those kind of things during that role for sure. So, how was it working with Nicolas Cage? Oh, oh, it was great. It was great. It was it was amazing. It was um, Werner Herzog, the director, ranked top 35 filmmaker in the world. And it was a close set because of, you know, the intimacy of, right. you know, the actors being able to do what they needed to do. But everyone was very respectable and to the point. And, and Nicolas Cage, I was told by my friend Sam Pressman, um, his family, Pressman Films, they produced um, the project, and, and that's how I met um, Sam Pressman. He was on the project um, filming behind the scenes. Uh, he shared with me that Nicolas Cage wanted to shoot the gun the whole entire uh, movie. He wanted to shoot the gun, and Werner like, <laughs> wouldn't let him, and there was just so much resistance from him shooting the gun. And, you know, the human condition of resistance, when you build up the resistance and you just it makes you just like want it more and more. But during that scene, I guess it wasn't just epic for, you know, the audience and for me, but I guess it was epic for him too, because he was able to shoot the gun at the end of the movie, even though it's in the beginning of the film, that particular scene, we shot it at the end um, of the the 27 shooting days. And he was able to shoot the gun. So it was very neurotic and, you know, exciting for him. And so to know that was just like really awesome because it was a prolific part for him and, and for me to work with him. And it was great. It was great intimacy. And, you know, he was like talking to me and telling me stories about his career and his journey along the way. And to have those moments with him, with him was just, you know, really, really cool and epic. And I get to, it's one of my gems and stories that I get to take with me along my journey. And I hope, I feel I have impacted him in a way, you know, I mean, that's what we do as actors. We get to impact the uh, viewer and we get to impact one another, you know, so it'd be a a great honor to work with him one day in the near future. It'd be really, really cool. So you have done pretty much everything and you've done comedy on the program. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. 
Do you like doing comedy better than drama or suspense? Oh, I love comedy. I love comedy. I love it. I love it so much. And I want to say yes, although I'm really good at being chaotic and all that other stuff and drama. Uh, Susan Batson, she's Nicole Kidman's personal acting coach now for over two decades, Julia Binoche, Madonna, Oprah. And she was telling us one time, she's like, you know, when Jack Nicholson... When, you know, people want to see his drama, he's like, pay me $20 million. If you want to see his comedy, he's like, you know, pay me $20 million. So it's like, we could be drama all day, but hey, let's get paid for it. You know what I'm saying? We're going to act all dramatic. But I remember this one story. I'll, I'll spare my friend's name, but he was working on a TV show in South Carolina because they had all the tax rebates in South Carolina or North Carolina. Um, he was on a TV show, and everything was so dramatic that... Like, everyone was crying all the time, but he became so depressed. And as an artist, we have we get to be vulnerable and, and share from our heart and our emotions. And and it's sometimes hard to dismantle and, and not take it throughout your life because you become and you're living, breathing this character. So I think for me, it would be really awesome to be on a series regular role for comedy. So I can always, because I love making other people feel good. I okay. like being wacky. I like... I like being like neurotic, and I know my voice sounds like a cartoon character. That's why I go by cartoon character, uh, cartoon Katie for voiceovers. And I like to. It inspires me, and it makes me feel good to make you laugh, Bill, and to make the viewer laugh and to feel good. So if I had a choice to be on a series regular, to see be on a series, if I have a choice or when I have the choice to be on comedy or drama, I would definitely say. Let's go all the way with comedy, and let's all be laughing and feeling good and okay. in between takes. I've been on so many comedy sets, and in between, they're all just laughing and cracking up jokes and coming up with funny things. They're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Let's put it into the scene. Oh, yeah, that's good. Let, hey, and they talk to the director. Hey, can we put this in or let's put that in? So I think that would be really fun. So with your voiceover work, what have, have you done a lot of um, – because to me, listening to you – you sound like you have a much younger voice than yeah. your age. So do you play mm-hmm. younger characters when you do that? Or is it just basically all the same? Oh, all the time, all the time, all the time. I go out for young little boy characters, um, young girl characters, video games. Um, right now I'm the voice of Seven Eleven for the next year. And I'm the um, 16-year-old girl going in t- inside the 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee, and then I get a brain freeze. And, um, and yeah, I play a 16-year-old. Um, naturally, my speaking voice, like if they need a 16 or an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old, I do not have to put that on. I just have to speak. Right. <laughs> Does that work against uh, you sometimes? Um, I mean, uh, does it work against me? Um um, I don't want to say it works against me. However, um, when I go out for the bank roles, when I go out for certain commercial roles where okay. they just want like someone in their 20s or someone in their 30s or even 40s where they want that warm, trusted voice, um, I'm not a generic voice that they may hire. I'm, I'm always the cat. I've been told from casting directors, I'm like, I'm always going to be that spicy option to give the ad agency and the creators something different than typically than they go for. I'm going to be in the pile of, if we want someone offbeat or if we want someone who's in that range, but a a little bit uniquely different. But I can just 
seriously speak the lines. I don't have to put on uniquely different. My voice is just naturally uniquely different. And so if that's getting in the way, I'd rather be me and be that spice and be that uniquely cool thing. I'd rather be that than sound like everyone else. Okay. And that and that makes a lot of sense because you can use that to your benefit then um, in the long run. So when when yeah. you – how long have you been actually acting? Because you mentioned you were modeling first. Mm-hmm. Um, my first, my first network series, uh, my first uh, network uh, TV show was CSI New York, um, like full on present. However, my very first role was on. I was just a featured extra, but like my mom had a party for me. <laughs> it was called <laughs> Early Edition, and it was yeah, yeah. And I was the very last episode, and I was with the main character, and it was Early Edition, and I had a featured role, but it was a non-speaking role. But that was the first time um, I got involved. What happened was um, when I was in Michigan, Gordon Michaels, who's from Cuba, and he's Dylan McDermott's best friend, and his mom actually uh, lived down the street from my yaya, my grandmother, who's my best friend. Um, you only need to know one person, and that one person I really didn't know. I took a one-day workshop with him for a couple hours, but I had his name and I had his number, and I went to Hollywood, and right when I went to Hollywood, Dylan McDermott was the lead on the TV show, The Practice, and Gordon was his acting coach, and they were best friends. They went to the neighborhood playhouse um, created by um, Stanford Meisner and uh, the neighborhood playhouse in New York. And um, I went to Hollywood, and I called up Gordon Michaels, and they put me on The Practice as an extra because I had two Taff Hartley cards. You just need three to get into the union, and at the time it was $1,400, and I was stomping up to the union to sag after us, and it was the first time I was so happy to give them $1,400. I'm like, here, take it. I'm like, here you go, and I was so, yeah, I was so excited because the thing is you could be non-union and union, and when you're non-union, you're in the, you're in the wheelhouse of, you know, anything could happen on set. But when you're in the union, you're with Johnny Depp, you're with Meryl Streep, you're with Alicia Silverstone, you're with, you know, the greats. And I'm like, I want to be in this curated space as the union to be protected with the greats. And so I was so happy. And, and I've been in the union ever since. And then, like I said, after the writer's strike and the new media and a lot of companies going non-union, there's an opportunity to be FICOR, which is financial core, where you can do union and non-union, but you lose the right to vote. You lose the right to do a lot of things. And so a lot of actors have gone FICOR. Um, I contemplated, you know, uh, two different times going financial core. I haven't done it yet. A lot of um, voiceover actors are financial core um, so, um, you know, it's a choice, it's a choice and, you know, there are opportunities to get back into, um, you don't, you're not, you're not, not in the union, but you, there's an opportunity you go in front of like a judge of six union actors and you let them know whatever the traumatic story is. If it was with a family member, you weren't making enough money, okay. it was a pandemic, and then they understand and then you could be just sag after again, but you're still sag after even if you're FICOR. Like, if you're still doing... Because there's so much non-union work out there. But then they can run it forever. You know what I mean? In the union, mm-hmm. they run it for 13 weeks. With uh, non-union, they can literally run it forever. So if I do, like... Let's say if I did a spot for a fast food company that was non-union, 
Venom out from all the companies that are union. Okay. So, you know, it's a choice one has to make. That makes sense. So you yeah. you you started this podcast. Did that happen during the pandemic? So what happened was I wanted to start my podcast around seven or eight years ago, but I didn't know how to get on the train track. And then before the pandemic, um, as a birthday gift to myself, I took a stand-up comedy class, and there was a girl named, a woman named Isolda Trachtenberg, who's Russia, who grew up in Michigan, who's a bit older than I am, and she has a podcast called The Innovative uh, Set, Mind Pot. It was called, um, it's called it, was, it was called The Creative Mindset Podcast, and now it's like The Innovative Mind Podcast. Okay. Um, and... Uh, she had me on her podcast, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I've been wanting to start my own podcast. And she's like, oh, let's just meet up for coffee. We literally sat up, met up for coffee. She just signed me up and got me going. And then right then and there, I published my first episode. And then and then I started publishing episodes, and I started going. And then what happened was um, life took a journey, and then, and then during the pandemic, I 1,000% pivoted and I went full on with my podcast and I decided to make it in seasons and right now I'm on season three and I remember last October I was celebrating 2,000 downloads and if you look just yesterday now I have over 4,000 downloads a month that's so awesome during the pandemic it's just yeah thank you it's just grown rapidly and so um I'm really, really excited, and because of the pandemic, yes, I was able to connect with my girlfriend, Yota, who um, goes to the best modern nutrition school in Milano, Italy. My friend, um, Ali Senegali, who's an artist, he's in Senegal, where he was raised, and um, he's there right now I, um, through Zoom, and I was able to connect with my friends internationally and still have that human connection. Although we couldn't see each other in person, I was able to connect with them and share their stories on the podcast and really add value to the listener and spread the wealth of information on how they, too, can get inspired and step into the power of their creativity. Although we were on lockdown in our home and living during uncertain times. And and that that is one thing I like about this. I've been and, and for me to get into podcasting was natural because I worked talk radio for years for local outlets here in this region. And when they were being bought up, what happened was is I'm looking for a new outlet and I've been podcasting since 2006. So how many years has that been? 15. And wow. I've taken wow. breaks in between and like I said at the beginning of the program, the last two years, the program was actually being done as a podcast and was being distributed to multiple radio stations, not only in the United States, but I had a couple in the United Kingdom that was airing the program, too. But I decided that the radio stations, because of FCC licensing, was too restrictive. And there were certain things I couldn't talk about, and I have guests that were very, very hesitant because they feel that it should be an open conversation. They could say whatever they want, which in my opinion, they're right. They should be able to. And I've had some really yeah. interesting guests over the last few years from adult film stars to comedians, to actors, to voiceover artists, to pretty much anybody you want. This week I have someone in uh, 
coming in from Colorado who's going to be talking to me about legalizing marijuana in the state of Pennsylvania, which is, again, where I'm at. So, again, it's just really interesting. So I've been doing that. But I think it's awesome that people like you who who were looking for something to do just to get that created creativity going found this new medium to be able to do it. Now, when your acting career, say, takes off on that sitcom you're working on, do you feel you'll still be podcasting? 1,000%. Season three, for sure, on um, 1,000%. Well, first, I would just like to honor you because you were just ahead of the game, and now um, brands and ad agencies and people are just catching up. Like, you were so right. ahead of the game, and now people, yeah, you're well, you know, a mastermind. And let so me, people, let, people are just catching up to you now. Let me say this. In 2006 and 2007, the downloads I had were amazing because there were only few of us out there. Now... Since there's so many of us out there, my downloads have probably cut in half to a third of what they were in 2006, 2007, because there's so many different options out there. Yeah. So the thing is about it is just consistency. Uh, consistency is going to be the name of the game right now. Um, that's that's what's happening. So for, for me, to answer your question... Um, since I broke during the pandemic, um, I decided to be like seasons, like a TV show. Right. Um, what happened for me was um, season three, I'm like, instead of 22 episodes, that's almost a half a year. I'm like, I'm going to do like a TV show and I'm going to do 13 episodes. And so season three, I batched everything. And before season um, three, episode one came, I, I had everything scheduled. Um, for my whole entire season. And then because the podcast just is growing, I just decided a few weeks ago to actually do a full 22 episodes because I want to be consistent with the listeners and with the downloads and to keep the show growing. And instead of stopping at 13, I'm like, you know, I just need to keep on going because if, if something's flowing, attention goes with energy flows. And if it's a natural thing for you, like you were saying, and it's a natural thing for me, I'm like, I just want to, like, keep it going. So I'm going to honor and do 22 episodes for season three, and then I will take a break and let everyone know on and honor myself, um, take a few months off, and then come back for season four. Um, but what I'll do is when my season four comes back, everything will be pre-recorded. I, I, I will batch everything because I learned from season one, which was not batched, and it was just fickling over. Season two, how it was week to week, and I was up to, like, you know, sometimes two to five in the morning making sure it was edited properly to right. make sure it was out because have, you have to be consistent with, you know, because these people show up and you're their morning routine or you're, you know, they're, you're your go-to, and it's developing, developing that relationship and honoring that and, and showing up for the people and, um, you know, making that commitment. So, um so season three, I had everything dashed, so I could just have fun and sit back and promote everything. Um, so yeah, so that was really, really, um, uh, you know, a learning curve, and and how I learned to do what's good for me, so I'm not straining, and so I'm actually enjoying it. The best thing for me to do um, is batch. So season four, um, uh, I'm really excited to share. Season four will be all females. I'm having only females for season four to empower women and to share their stories. And so, um, but everything, like I said, will be pre-recorded. 
that that is fantastic. And I, I'm looking at something right now because I've I've really done this wrong because <laughs> I've never I've never did mine by season. Um, I just did them as year, and I honestly have done a total in two years. I have done 145 episodes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. divide so that divide that by two. I'm doing one almost every week that that keeps it going mm-hmm. because again, like you said, the consistency is that I felt that my audience needed that consistency to be able to do it. Now I will be honest with you. There's a few times where if things came up in the news and I did a previous podcast, say six months before, that would be actually be relevant, I would play that again. I'd play it again, but retitle it and reintro it. So they knew it was dealing with what was going on in society that day. But again, when I do it, I do it the way I did radio talk. I just, I do it straight through and don't consider it episodic. Now, unfortunately, now I'm learning after been doing it for all these years, because overall in since 2016 or 20, um, 2006, I have probably, there's probably about a thousand episodes out there. Unfortunately, my previous server that was holding them lost everything. And I had to start over. What, I No, I thought I did, but I had a hard drive corrupt at the same time. And it was just one of those situations. But luckily, some of the really good interviews I did, I did have backups on. But the um, everyday stuff that you would do that really wasn't important or wasn't relevant, I didn't. So again, it goes back. So when I started back up again two years ago in 2018, so maybe three years ago, um, it gave me the opportunity to start breaking these down and do it that way. But again, I didn't do it by season or do it by episode. Um, I just did it by guests, and that was my situation. So that may be why I'm not getting the following that you're getting for you doing it such a short period of time. But you also have a name and a face that people recognize. Um, well, um, well, when I first started, I didn't start in seasons. I just went back and when I start, when Isolde gave me the idea uh-huh. to put it in seasons, I just went back and um, put it in seasons. I just uh, went back into the, the server and uh, put season one, episode one through 22, and then season two, episode one through 22, right. and then same thing for season three. So I, I just went back and, like, uh, Re-bit, redid it. Um, reorganized them into seasons. And with the stuff you lost, you lost, it's gone. But the stuff, if it's not too much to backlog, you could just go and make it all um, season one, season two, if you do it by years or whatever. But you need to also be authentic, you know, with your audience and with yourself and, and give yourself a few weeks off or a couple of months off and... And then have, and it gives, it gives them something to look look forward to coming back to tuning in with you, and it gives you space to be creative to fulfill your cup, to give your audience the best views, um, you know. And it, it depends. Like I that, know entrepreneurs on fire when they started, they yeah. did it one every single day, and that's how they massively grew. But they bash it. Their episodes are way shorter, and they were doing like six, seven interviews a day, right? right? So my content, like yours is longer and i was told by uh, my friend uh niels sherman who was at um viacom for 18 19 years and he he was a cmo of viacom and he he created paramount network he was telling me like uh just there was a distribution company but they were looking for um kid stuff like uh like g-rated kid stuff um 
and they, they were looking for longer form content and told me that, you know, um, with podcasting, people want to go on a journey. So they prefer the longer form content, um, uh, you know, and some, some people, they just have, you know, and there's some podcasts that are just 15 minutes, which is fine. So I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good luck trying to get my podcast to be 15 minutes unless I'm doing a solo. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, the shortest podcast I have is like, I think maybe, tw- uh, well, my beginning ones are, you know, 11 minutes. But they were pre-recorded right. because I was doing um, I was doing a, a video on YouTube and they're saying on YouTube, shorter content, 5 to 12 minutes. And I just stripped the audio from those YouTubes and those are my first podcasts. When it says the state of acting 101, the state of music, the state of DJing, um, blah blah blah, and I was giving, I was, I came out with people with, in the arts realm, these are the basic foundations 101. If you want to be involved in certain parts of entertainment industry, even networking, right? Um, and then, and then it builds to then having guests. But those first ones are just pre-recorded from YouTube videos. They weren't, they. I, instead of doing my podcast because I didn't know how, I started YouTubing. And then from the YouTube, I uh, took those audios and then put them on the podcast. So I thought it was going to be, I wanted to do the podcast. I didn't know how to do it. I started the YouTube and then I ended up taking the YouTube and putting them on the podcast and then going full steam with the podcast. So it was meant to be. But the point is, we just need to start taking more steps. Yes. We don't know how it's going to land, even though you want this to be this. But by putting the energy out there and taking steps towards what you want it to be, it may look yellow, it may look green, it may look a different color, it may look like something we didn't know. And then eventually we align and we get onto the track where we want to be, which was uh, adding value communicating how we are now, entertaining people, sharing cool things, blowing people's minds, you know, stuff like that. Well, what I think is interesting, and and you're right, you have to take time off because I did that. And in, I guess it was the end of April, beginning of May. Now, I also do, um, I also do, um, how do I want to put this? I work for a radio station online and I do, I do a nightly show for them. So that is, that is what I mainly do. And the podcast has now been the secondary that I do. And I got myself so burned out. I was basically ready to take the whole thing and say that that's it. I'm done. I'm going to end it. I'll tell Mm -hmm. everybody goodbye. And then if I want to come back in a year, I'll come back in a year. But more I thought about it and more I started listening to other people, you, you, for example, then I realized going, no, I just need to take some time off and I need to then come back yeah. and hit it strong. So I'm going to be focusing because yeah. I have more time in the summer. I'm going to be doing a summer season, I guess you would say, instead of doing one in the fall and the winter and then just just reverse it to give people a different opportunity or a different time to listen to them. So, again, that that gives you <laughs> that gives you a different perspective on it. But before my audience tries to figure out who I'm talking to right now because we've been going on now this is amazing for about 42 minutes and I'm on the uh, on the program with me right now is Katie Chanakis and uh, she's giving me podcasting tips. I, I never thought I'd be getting them from somebody else. Usually I give them to other people, but I really appreciate that. And I've actually helped people start podcasts during the pandemic because they were in the same situation you were, is that they were always intrigued by this and they always felt that they had a message that they wanted to get out to the public. And they didn't know if they would be able to do it or sustain it for a long period of time. And my response is, try it. 
do it weekly, mm-hmm. do it monthly, do it whenever, but try it and see what happens. And so far, the ones that have been doing it have actually been doing very well. I've created competitors yeah. for myself, which is kind of not the way to do it, but that's what I did. Well, I love I love the podcast community, and you know, like I like to add value and support and help other people, and yeah. we learn from one another. And and like you said earlier, with like regulations, you can't share. But in times of now, we need to be able to communicate and share. So also, like when you communicate to the to the listener, you know, to say, hey, like this is going to be a summer season. Then when they they clock it, they know. Then they can go back like a Netflix series and binge all your episodes if they're really into what you're saying right. and your vibes of you know your audience. But we have to communicate and let them know, like, hey, I'm going to be, you know, taking eight weeks off or we're going to be coming back in the fall. And we just, like, let them know. Then they appreciate that because they feel like, you know, like you're really talking to them, which we are. And, you know, and and that's why we do what we do. Um, And that's why it's fun for us. But to, like, throw in the towel and forget about it is, like, abandonment. And no one wants to be abandoned, right? I mean, there could be a conclusion of, um, I'm, I'm closing out this series. Right. I'm going to take some time off. but uh, Or I might, hey, I might be creating a new podcast, and here it is. Yeah. Or, you know, or this may be pivoting and shifting to this because, you know, just let your audience know, like, I'm pivoting to this. Um, and they can decide if they want to stay or not. Um, but yeah, I love how we can talk about whatever we want, um, podcasting. And I was at last year, the podcast movement virtually, and I was just, wow. I was like, whoa, there's so many podcasts that talk about sex. And there's so many podcasts that talk about like all these topics that just, I wasn't like hip to. And it's like yeah. seeing all these things. Um, I'm really into podcasts where they're talking about like, uh, scientists, jo- Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, Paul Check. Um, Dr. Hyman, um, you know, Dr. Greg Braden, and I, I just love human behavior, uh, human behavior, psychology, and how we think the way we think, and how to change patterns, and you know, the choices we make, and that really, really excites me. Uh, psychology. Um, I was just listening to this amazing podcast uh, it's called Blow Your Mind. And because um, I was just like browsing as a fellow podcaster would do. And there was a, a five part, there was a playlist, it was a five part series on psychedelics. And it was five episodes, so it was five hours. And it really, and in, in, it's so cool about podcasting because it would take me months and years to research everything I found out in five hours. And they give it to you all. They're telling you about the, the scientific studies in the 50s and uh, where it was and, and how it was legal and how it became popular in America and how we're so close to legalizing psilocybin again and how we naturally produce it in our mind for healing properties instead of like treating um, the symptoms, yeah. actually treating the cause. Instead of like going to a psychiatrist, a lot of people are on, you know, especially mental health is so important. I'm an advocate of mental health. And instead of going to a psychiatrist, to, you know, get your pills every month or every couple months, they're doing uh, psychotherapy where they're, it's going to be legalized, where they're going to be having healing properties of psilocybin, where, whereas you would go to see a psychiatrist to get refills, you actually go to them and you have a session and you're good for a few months and then you go back for a session. So they're going to be implementing that into our society. So it just shows you like uh, evolution, how far we've come. And that's so awesome about podcasting because we can learn these things and share and help each other because we need to be connected more than ever because the grids, you know, during the pandemic, all these companies that shut down, all these things that fell down because we're building on grids that, you know, are ancient that didn't serve us. 
like in you know in we're in new times so we have to be mindful to unlock and unload things that aren't serving us and stop like pulling forward things that aren't you know relevant into our today's society because it's hurting us it's like it's like needing to break out of a, a snake skin we're needing to dismantle our old ways of thinking because if i'm if, i'll give you a short example when i went to hollywood like when i was in detroit i was such a smart cookie and i went to detroit and i remember i was going to this fashion show and i went to valet my car and i went to valet my car and i said something to the guy and I, I in a clever way and and he like knew what i was doing and i was like uh-oh i'm like that old katie in michigan uh can't can't use those old tricks here in la you know it's a pretty advanced culture here <laughs> so i had to find new tricks and i turn over a new leaf because i became a new person i we shed skin i can't be who i was 10 years ago right i'm, I'm i can have the memories and take beautiful things that I learned in my tradition and the values that I uphold. But it's like when I meet you or I meet a new partner, or if I meet a new friendship, what are your values? What are you into? This is what I'm into. And we nod and we agree. And then we create new values and new ethics and new things together. And we hold hands and we walk down the path. But I can't just take my stuff there that I was taught that I assume that I know. And then that person take what they assume and that what they know and we bring it to the table. It's going to be one chaotic mess. We need to communicate. We need to share and open up. And whatever sticks, whatever you identify with, cool. That was awesome. Great. Now you have new energetic tools to take along your journey. I didn't align with what Katie said. I didn't align with Bill said. Then leave it at the door and don't take it. It doesn't work for you, but it, what works for you may work for someone else. Right. It doesn't work for me. may work for someone else, but all we can do is share our stories and our experiences so we can all, you know, enrich ourselves and live the best lives that we can while we're here on the planet because it's such a gift to be here, just to be here on the planet. And if whoever's listening to this, is ultra privilege just to be listening to a podcast is such privilege, you know. And we yeah. have to we get to be in gratitude to acknowledge that. Now the question I have for you, and I ask this for everybody that does a podcast: Who was your favorite guest that you've ever had? And I know that's a tough question. It's like asking who your favorite kid is. Well. I know. So I have a couple. Uh, <laughs> Shane Salk. Okay. Yeah, Shane Salk was just on and his story on friendship and uh -huh. understanding the value of friendship. It, um, he's the creator of a new podcast series called Carcerum. The series It's a fantasy podcast and he's also a voiceover actor in my community. But we talked about where he's from and his mindset and how he was in school and how he was very, um, you know, uh, his social skills and how he was with himself, how he took a step and made a choice to immerse himself more into the arts and, and did the tech in his school. And he advanced and they started giving him more opportunities and it really advanced him. And he was accountable and reliable. And his character of what he did and how he built and then the, a, a decade later, two decades later, how it went into him hiring um, Emmy Award winners uh -huh. on his podcast, uh, Jane Lynch, and, and, and hiring people. He went from being a, a student 
to then taking those same values and choices to then uh, hiring other people. I really, really like that journey and what he shared on the podcast. Um, same thing with Gabriel Schuldiner. He's a visual artist and the magic of being an artist and the choices uh, he made and the artist's journey that I'm actually taking that podcast per his suggestion on the podcast and I'm transmuting that. I'm, I'm making it um, into a book. And um, so that was really magical. Um, and then from a place of honor, from a place of merit of being proud, I would really love to say um, the Greek multi-billionaire uh, Kelly, who is the president and CEO of Ecos, which was her family business in Greece, that was crumbling and she took went in and revived it and people don't know in Greece everyone's like thinking she's Greek but past me too past um, the revolution of Black Lives Matter she never felt comfortable uh, uh, vulnerable enough to share her story that she's actually African-American as well and I met her at the Emma's the Environmental Media Association um, in 2018, and like Jaden Smith is on the board, Will Smith's son, and uh, some uh, many great prolific people. And it's something I'm really into the environment and being mindful and conscious of our planet. And so I met her in 2018, and to be able to nurture that relationship, and I had her on um, for Earth Month, Earth Day, um, Earth Week, she was on my podcast talking about the environment and all the toxics and the chemicals and the choices we made and how, you know, Earth Day isn't just one day of the year and how it's a mindful thing and how many people are celebrating in over 200 countries. It was really, really awesome and intimate. I felt really beautiful on multi-levels of being Greek, celebrating another Greek, and then, you know, the Black Lives Matters and then, like, her sharing her story and then her team asking me to break the story on Thrive Global because I write on Ariana Huffington's platform and Ariana Huffington personally asked me to write for her on Thrive um, on the Huffington Post when I was in New York during New York Fashion Week. We met on Valentine's Day and I just felt like it was the best gift from the universe for me to meet her on Valentine's Day to, and that was a beautiful gift from the universe to me in my heart center to write for Ariana Huffington and I wrote for her uh-huh. and then she created Thrive Global. Yeah, she created Thrive Global and then, um, you know, Women's Empowerment Day in March, her team came to me, Kelly's team from Ecos, for me to do an article about her and to break that article and to share her story was so prolific on so many different levels. And me, why me? What? Ariana Huffington, another multi-billionaire, another Greek person, someone else breaking the story on Forbes, breaking the story somewhere else. And I tried to actually talk my way out of it. I'm like, maybe this person would be better or this person would be better. And they're like, no, Kiriaki, we want you. We want you to tell the story. I felt like these women were empowering me to level me up to be able to share this woman's story. And so that was really profound and such a beautiful guest. And you just said something that I was going to ask you about. Kiriaki, what does that mean? Kiriaki is a saint in the Greek tradition, and we're named after goddesses and saints. Kiriaki was a saint. She was a martyr, and she, um, you know, uh, died for her sins for believing in the Lord, and she was a Christian, and she um, 
Also, Kiriaki means Sunday. Sinera Kiriaki. I just said today is not Sunday. Unless you're listening, unless you're listening on a Sunday, then Sinera Ine Kiriaki. So, um, Kiriaki is God's day, and I'm named after my my father's mother, and she's 91, going strong. And her name is Kiriaki, and I was named after her, and it's such an honor. And I love her so much. And she came over from the old country uh-huh. to provide an opportunity for her family, which provided an opportunity for us. And I am the one that went to California originally, and 17 people after me came, including all of my siblings. And I provided a, a better opportunity for my family. So I walk in the footsteps of Mayaya. I walk in the footsteps of Kiriaki. Um, and <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation probably, but that's where well, Kiyaki comes from. So yeah. th- I was, I was wondering that. So your name is actually is, is, so is Katie Elizabeth your stage name or is, so, um, well, my, my mother's German. Okay. So my dad married a non-Greek, which is totally fine. Um, and they wanted, you know, they wanted people to, to know my name and not make fun of me because you know how Americans are. Oh, I know. They named me Katie. Yeah. So they named me Katie. And so Katie, but my mom is, um, you know, her genes and roots come from royal royalty, royal family. So she always loved the name Elizabeth. So my middle name is Elizabeth after, you know, the queen, Uh um, Queen Elizabeth. And, um, and so that's where Katie Elizabeth comes from. And then, Kiriaki is my baptismal name. Okay. Um, you know, which is my which is my first name, Kiriaki, um, named after my yaya on the Greek side, my dad's family. Okay. Because so, through my modeling through my modeling career, um, my comp card, my model card, also Kiriaki. The podcast is Kiriaki, like Shakira, like Madonna. Right. Kiriaki. But for acting, um, in 2005, my team they're like uh, Johnny Depp. Woody Allen, Jennifer <laughs> Aniston. It's Je- it's Jennifer Anisonopoulos, and they had to go by Jennifer Aniston. They actually wanted to shorten Chinakis, and I said, no way. So I, I was going by Kiriaki through the union, but when your name is Kiriaki through the union, when they do the credits, it has to be the same. So I had to change it to Katie Chinakis, and I put my foot down. I'm like, that's it. We're leaving Chinakis. I think Kiriaki would be a great name to do that. I mean, at least you'd be recognizable. Um, because, again, like you said, that's not common. Yeah. And so for my music, I have the band, the duo, the Sophisticated Psychos. And so for my music, I release under everything under Kiriaki. I gotcha. Okay. Sophisticated Psychos. Now that's a name. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like you said, I, I think we could break off into two more podcasts. I mean, this has been very interesting. Um, just scratching the surface talking to you this afternoon um, on the program today, because it's going to be time for us to wrap it up real soon. But before I let you go, is there anything you want to tell my audience about you, about your podcast, about your career, anything you want to tell them? Well, first, let's schedule, and I would love to come back on. It would be an honor. Thank you. I appreciate that. We can talk more and get involved, um, you know, maybe about quantum physics and <laughs> and um, healing frequencies that are encoded with my music. So, um, Oh, uh, you know, so interesting. 
That's very interesting. Yeah, but uh, maybe we could uh, have another conversation about that. But real quick, a couple of things. Uh, the Sophisticated Psychos on YouTube, all streaming platforms. Uh, the new EP I just released um, is encoded with 396 healing frequencies, which removes guilt and fear. And that was all encoded by the scientist Eric Thompson over at Subtle Energy. And if you go to loversfairytale.com, put in your email. I have a, a beautiful gift to gift you of all these spoken word music videos that I produced and created that couple with my new poetry book that I released on World Poetry Day. So it's available on Amazon, A Lover's Fairy Tale. So I would love for you to support me and pick up the book, aloversfairytale.com. And then we have merch too, aloversfairytale.com. We have merch on there that you can pick up, like coffee mugs and stuff. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, I would love you know for you to have the book and we could maybe talk more about that on the next podcast if we meet back up again. Well, the interesting thing is I have a list of what I wanted to talk to you about and the book is actually on here. Unfortunately, we didn't get to it. Um, so mm-hmm. we're going to have to schedule for another time. We really do, because I think you are an interesting individual and I am so grateful you were able to join me today because, um, again, yeah. this was very enjoyable and I've learned more about you just in the last 45 minutes to an hour than I think I could have ever learned about you reading about you online. So I'm very thankful that you took time to uh, talk with us today. And I wish you all the luck. Good luck on the photo shoot tomorrow. Um, Hope everything goes well there. And uh, I'm glad you were able to join me today. Well, you know, I'm really feeling what you're saying and it's going down deep into my heart and my soul. But I would like to hear from you and maybe the audience would want to know too, like, like, what are they going to think? And they can comment and, you know, give us some feedback on what they think. So that would be really cool, you know, to, you know, leave a five-star review for who you are and what you're doing. But what you learned in, like you said, the 45 minutes that we've been connecting, like, from you, what are some words from your heart and soul that have moved you while you're in the moment? Uh, about you? Um, that you are a very focused individual that family is very important and that you know where your career is going to take you next. And you're more interested in other people sometimes than you are yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very clear. Very clear. I honor you and I'm grateful for you. And thank you so much for all the beautiful questions and getting to know me and the listener for holding space. And, you know, uh, lastly, I was just, I was at a world's event. It's worlds with a Z if you want to look it up. It's an amazing event that okay. this guy Roman created and put together. But um, Gary V, Gary Vanderchow, Gary V was the keynote, and he said the number one thing. He said, he said when one person and another person has an idea, it's worth $4 million. Just the idea, $4 million. He said the number one most valuable thing, more than money, is our attention. Where attention goes, energy flows. Number one, you, Bill, are here with me, and I am here with you. Mm-hmm. And that value of our moments and our time together is so sacred. And so for the listener who has taken moments from their lives, because there's a billion other things they could be doing and that we could be doing, but for them to be here right now holding space for us and we're holding space for them, it's a sacred, energetic, aligned moment that could be tomorrow five years from now, 15 years from now, whenever it resonates, but we're making an impact and we're being a part of the ripple effect. And, 
and we're valuing each other because it's the number one thing is our attention. So by being here, I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of my journey and getting to know, you know, like you said, scratching the surface of who I am and, and what I want to share with others. Well, again, thank you very much. Um, and I'm so grateful that you were able to take time with me today. And again, I will get in touch so we can do this again sometime in the near future. Beautiful. Let's make it happen. Sounds great. Thank you very much, Katie. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bill. Bye. Bye-bye. So there you go. Uh, interview with uh, Katie Chinakis here online with Bill Alexander. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, if you'd like to uh, comment on the program, please do so. You have many avenues to do it through Facebook, through Twitter, through the website, and even through the podcast pages that we're available on. So thank you very much for Katie for joining us today. And we'll talk to you guys next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.